0: Good morning to all. My name is Sergio Garcia, the NVGL Maritime
1: Head of Communications Hub Americas, and I'll be the moderator for this panel. First, on behalf of my panelist colleagues, we'd like to thank Capital Link for organizing another successful event, especially for this March 2020 International Shipping Forum, which you managed in such short time to convert into a two-day digital conference on a pioneering initiative in order to cope with present reality and still fulfill the industry goal for knowledge sharing. Congratulations to Nicholas and team. Our panel, Navigating the World of Alternative Fuels, the Roadmap Ahead, will talk about meeting the 2050 IMO greenhouse gases emission targets for shipping. This will require alternative fuels in addition to improvement in efficiency. This panel will discuss some of the alternative fuels, future marine fuels, their status and challenges, their key barriers, and the potential pathways to meet the IMO targets. Panelists will also discuss which actions are needed from stakeholders to facilitate the energy transition in the maritime industry. We'll have four distinguished panelists representing a broad spectrum of stakeholders, glass, engine manufacturers, investors, logistics. You can find their bios with more details under the speaker lounge. We will have each panelist short presentation followed by Q&A. If you have any questions, please uh, type on the on the proper uh, box for questions. With that said, I would like to start with uh, Jan Hagen-Andersen, the NVGL Maritime Business Development Manager. Jan, the floor is yours.
2: Thank you, Sergio, uh, for the good introduction and setting the scene. And also thanks to Capital Link for arranging this uh, digital conference, uh, in lieu of the uh, in-person conference in New York. Um, so as Sergio mentioned, the topic today is the roadway to meet the IMO targets uh, for the greenhouse gas reductions in 2050, and even beyond. Uh, so panel will try to discuss what are the key steps that the industry needs uh, to meet uh, to meet the, those decarbonisation goals. Um, So, I have uh, some slides and I'll actually go down to my next slide in my presentation. And the key here is that there is no single measure or solution that will get us there. But the figure here shows that there are certain key stepping stones that we need to take. Uh, Fuel uh, is in the center of the decarbonization effort, but in addition, uh, enhancing efficiency The technical efficiency of the ships and machinery, but also operational efficiency, needs to be part of the solution. There's also incentives that might need to be in place to facilitate the decarbonization effort. Investment in zero and carbon neutral fuel, and even uh, other incentives that facilitate the uh, uptake of uh, uh, alternative fuels, will need to be part of the solution. Uh, I'll skip to my next uh, slide, which is basically that uh, in our maritime forecast for 2015, we uh, looked at uh, different measures that might be used. And As I said, there is no single measure, but there will be a combination of measures that is required to meet the targets, as well as improving the vessel efficiency and energy efficiency and and vessel efficiency. As you see on this graph as well, Uh, It shows the contributions of different measures that might be in place in order to reach the target by 2050 uh, in one of the scenarios, and you see that fuel is definitely an important part of that transition towards uh, meeting the goals. The key is that there is no uh, perfect fuel, and towards uh, towards 2050, there'll be a, a mixture of different fuels Uh, as our pathway modeling in the 2050 uh, maritime forecast definitely shows. So another key issue is that the phasing of carbon reducing and neutral fuels will occur over time. Uh, We start with fuels and technologies that are mature mature today. And then we'll ease the transitions towards 2050. So it will be a gradual transition. And as future fuels with even larger or zero greenhouse gas emission, comes available for use in shipping, the transition to meet the 2050 goals and beyond for a maritime carbon neutral maritime industry would be possible. Uh, of course, GNVGL is supporting the industry in this transition as uh, the leading classification society and a trusted voice advisor to all the stakeholder. So we have a very uh, strong focus on meeting these targets and helping the industry. On my next slide, um, is, there is certain barriers that needs to be uh, overcome in order to f- focus on the op- uptake of alternative fuel. Key issues, being the technical maturity, the availability and the infrastructure that is available to bring the fuel to the ships and on board the ships, the cost, both the energy cost and the capital cost for the investment needed. Another important thing is, of course, that the rules, the regulations, the standards, will also need to be in place. Uh, The safety of the ships and the people on board the ships should always be the focus and the forefront in our planning before we introduce new technologies. Um, In our uh, maritime forecast, we create an alternative fuel barrier dashboard. Basically, it shows the key barriers and where different fuels will be on that scale from left to right, and that is an indication where the fuel is and then it can be assessed what barriers need to be overcome and if there's ways of accelerating the move to the right on the scale is needed and how the stakeholders can work on that together. On my next slides, I saw a, a possible and a, a, the way forward is sort of looking at the, the pathway. It starts, in our opinion, uh, with gas because there is no uh, perfect fuel. We cannot wait, so it's important to act now. So therefore, we see gas as the best fuel for the next two two vessel generation uh, until other fuels becomes available. So in the long term, we need to uh, focus on fuel flexibility and bridging technologies that can facilitate the transition from the traditional fuel that we're using today and then to the mature technology of LNG or other alternative fuel that's already in use, to other fuels with lower carbon footprints when they come available, and, this, uh, and then to the final carbon neutral fuel both in the way from the well to the uh, uh, stack that can actually facilitate this growth. Some of these um, transition and, and flexible solutions, bridging technologies, might require some investments and modifications along the way. So again incentives to facilitate those investment needs to be in place. It's, it's clear that you know already in the deep sea segments of shipping the dual fuel engines and alternative fuel ready solutions could help the future retrofit cost and that's already available. But we also have to focus on the innovation of fuel flexible energy converters beyond what we have today. Fuel flexible storage tank and onboard systems that can facilitate the transition, and other flexible shoreside fuel infrastructure that can bring the fuels from the producers to the ships. So my key conclusion is is that there is no silver bullet, but the industry will need to take action now and work together and then to help ease the transition from the traditional fuels that we use today to the carbon neutral fuels of the future. Thank you, Sergio.
1: Thank you, Jan Hagen, uh, for an interesting, broad perspective. Uh, I'd like to uh, highlight two things. Uh, first, uh, each panelist will be talking about, not, not necessarily all, but some of them will be talking about their own slides. So they uh, are not shown, the viewers can go on the platform, and there is a box showing uh, the uh, and PDFs available. You can uh, open and follow, uh, Take a look later. Jan Hagen mentioned the uh, to stress is uh, the uh, wind other uh, alternative available. I think Jan Hagen reference to uh, at a worldwide level some different alternative fuels are being already tested use it, is
2: that correct? Absolutely Sergio, so yeah, availability and, and the use of, uh, of alternative fuels is already on the pilot stage, you know, other with the one that's mature today. But as we know from, from LNG as a fuel, it, it takes a time from getting from the pilot stage to a widespread, widespread adoption and availability of the whole infrastructure and as well as the costs.
1: Thank you very much. So our next panelist, let's change now and uh, hear from one of the engine manufacturers and their experiences. So we'll switch uh, to uh, Mr. Bjarne Voldager from MAN, Head of Sales and Promotion. Bjarne, the floor is
0: yours. Thank you very much, Sergio. Uh, And uh, thank you again for giving me the opportunity to to speak uh, at this uh, interesting conference. I couldn't have asked for a much better start than uh, Jan Hagen uh, setting the stage, um, outlining some of the uh, challenges and and the fact that there is no single view. Um, There is a couple of slides, and uh, I will start with slide number two in the the, the small slide deck, the challenge that we are facing today. And just, uh, you know, I will focus uh, primarily on the merchant ships and uh, maybe a few interesting facts. Actually, maybe not uh, everybody is aware, but shipping actually accounts for about 90% of all the goods that are transported globally. That is 90% of global trade that is actually moved by ships. Um, So it's quite significant. And uh, if we have to solve the uh, carbon challenge, uh, then for sure shipping has to play a a key role. Shipping is responsible for about 3% of the global CO2 emissions so it's uh, again significant and uh, what, what i think is, uh, is, is particular um, to notice is that um, uh, shipping is a global uh, and transportation of goods is a global business so that also means it always uh, functions as an extremely competitive world so anything any solutions that we come up with for decarbonization has to be based on, on competitiveness um, So in other words, the solutions we come up with have to be business viable. Lastly, it's a gross business. Seaborn trade is continuing to grow. Actually, we are expecting a 2.9% growth in 2020, at least. That's what we expected until, let's say, a few weeks ago. Maybe the figures will change now. But in the bigger scale of things, it's a gross business. So it's quite essential that we find a solution. If we go to the next slide, uh, that's a slide uh, uh, with the title, Full Focus on Efficiency Will Not Be Sufficient. And this is what uh, Jan Hagen-Andersen mentioned. Uh, We can do a lot with efficiency, and and we can really do a lot. Uh, Here we have uh, shown an example with a uh, 20,000 TU container ship. And um, the starting point is a vessel that is uh, in tier two, and then with some of the solutions that we have available today, for instance, what we call the ECO-ETR, we can actually uh, reduce uh, the consumption and the CO2 footprint with uh, five six percent. heat recovery we can take another maybe ten percent, and then some of the other efficiencies that we can that we can work on, like machinery efficiencies, shaft generators. We can work some of the modern container ships that have twin engines and twin screws to improve the efficiency. We can also take a, an important step maybe a 20% plus reduction in total greenhouse gas if uh, the vessel's uh, container ship is, is uh, using LNG as a fuel uh, and that will bring us a significant step uh, and leads towards the 2030 goal. Um, speed reduction has been mentioned by many ship owners. Of course, that's a way to reduce the, the consumption and thereby also the CO2 and with a 20% speed reduction, we can also take a significant step in reduction. But we cannot completely go carbon uh, neutral unless we also come up with a carbon-free fuel. So I think that is, that is the key message and also that, that was highlighted before. Uh, but here is just shown in a practical example. that so We have to go to carbon-free fuels or carbon neutral fuels in order to achieve the goal. If we go to the uh, to to the next slide, slide number four. Um, so some important steps have already been made. Uh, we have introduced the dual fuel engine, and we have already achieved a number of world's first. We have the world's first uh, dual fuel engine for a uh, merchant ships uh, with the the two-stroke engines on the on the towed container ships running between uh, Jackson, jackson out of Jacksonville. And um, that is quite interesting. And they have been running now successfully for several years now. Um, And since then, we have expanded the portfolio. And now we have uh, two-stock engines uh, that are able to run not only on LNG, but also on methanol, which is interesting because methanol can be made uh, uh, also carbon neutral. We have two-stock engines that are running on LPG, and that is uh, quite successful so far um quite a number of, of uh, vlgc's have been ordered with lpg as a, as a fuel we have ethane as a fuel already um in service successfully again it's typically ethane carrier that are operating on it and also the biofuels uh which uh, requires a little if any modification both second and third generation so already quite some successes totally in total we have more sold more than uh, 300 uh, two stroke uh, dual fuel engines already and that accounts to actually 6.3 gigawatt and uh, we have uh, the, these engines have run accumulated more than 1 million running hours so that means that it's already proven as a as a concept it's uh, very reliable it's safe it's fuel efficient so we have demonstrated that it, it actually does work we have also demonstrated that it can be retrofitted. We have executed uh, retrofits, and several retrofits are in the pipeline. Um, so so uh, we know we have a concept that works uh, well. Um, the next step uh, f- that we're working on as a fuel is actually ammonia or NH3. And of course, NH3 is uh, exciting because uh, there's no C in NH3. So that means it's uh, completely carbon free. It can uh, be produced uh, today as it is from, uh, from fossil, uh, fossil-based fuels, but it can actually also relatively simple be uh, produced from um, uh, sustainable energy sources like uh, solar uh, or wind energy or, or wave energy, we can produce ammonia. Actually, um, you know, it's basically, some people call it hydrogen 2.0, and that's because it's essentially hydrogen that is made out of the electrolysis from, uh, from solar or Or wind farms but hydrogen has some shortcomings uh, on ships because it's uh, extremely expensive to store in large quantities like you need on board a ship the energy density is not very high uh, so you need uh, huge tanks for hydrogen so i think we found that it's uh, better to um, transform h2 or hydrogen to transform it into nh3 ammonia and there we could have an interesting fuel so Uh, That we have started the development and that will uh, come into the market uh, within the next couple of years. So what we recommend to ship owners, if they are uncertain about which technology to invest in the ships, they should invest with the two-stroke engine uh, that are full, uh, uh, flexible. They can burn a significant number of alternative fuels already today and they're future-proof because we have proven that they can also be uh, retrofitted to whatever fuel is required in the future. Are you done, uh, Bjarne?
3: Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, over any questions,
0: i will be more than happy, you.
1: Thank you very much for you. Uh, I'd like to take this opportunity also to highlight, highlight. our participants uh, that uh, this digital uh, means of conference allows us uh, to bring people from uh, different parts of the world at the same time. Bjarne is joining us uh, from Denmark, Magnus is joining us uh, from Vermont, Aaron is joining us uh, from uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Myself and Jan Hagen are here in Houston, so this is very interesting. Um, And uh, Bjarne mentioned, uh, of course, the options uh, for the two-stroke engines, uh, but we'll hear later also uh, about other engines. Uh, Thank you, Bjarne. Uh, So now I'd like to hand over uh, to Magnus Tangen from Clean Marine Energy, Vice President Commercial Development. Magnus, the floor is yours.
3: Thanks, Sergio, and, and thanks to Capital Link for for having us uh, attend this conference. It's a, it's a very interesting development in the times that we're in. And um, as Sergio mentioned, uh, Clean Rain Energy, abbreviated CME, um, is uh, a, an infrastructure development group and investor that uh, puts um, capital to work in this space. Uh, we are. Um, relatively young company uh, founded in 2012. And uh, we're based in Connecticut, just about an hour outside of uh, New York City. Uh, we have a, lo- a long shipping pedigree, having been owned by a, a, a US John Sack ship owner and operator. Um, so that helps us understand some of the um, opportunities and complexities related to uh, investments in the alternative fuel space. Um, where our experience really stems from before the 2015 uh, ECA, US ECA requirement, um, where we started uh, uh, putting out a model where we could provide third-party capital to help ship owners convert vessels to, to run on alternative fuels. Um, and, um, as has been mentioned before by, by Jan and, and Bjarne, we also believe that we are in the midst of a uh, fueling transformation. Um, the, uh, the Really, the pr- primary drive at this point uh, is emissions regulations. Uh, so on the one hand, you have that force, and then on the other hand, you have all these new technologies, new engines, uh, alternative fuels being made available by fuel suppliers, etc., that's providing this... Um, transformation uh, into cleaner um, marine fuels. Um, In addition, there's this big push by everyone in the industry, I would say, ship owners, operators, end users, uh, investors, bankers, and the like, to try and and push the industry forward uh, towards more sustainability, uh, while also helping the uh, bottom line. So we believe that at this point, most ships that are being built will have some sort of abatement technology either uh, designed or installed or or planned for uh, in some sort of ready uh, capacity um, to to enable uh, the vessels to operate uh, either on alternative fuels or in some sort of uh, reduced uh, emissions uh, capacity. So what we believe and what we've seen in our experience, which also was mentioned by Jan, is that we're going through this um, transition, which which we uh, kind of call investing down the emissions curve. So on the one um, bookend, uh, we sort of look at the traditional fuels like uh, HFO, um, with now the use of scrubbers. And then on the other bookend, you have uh, zero uh, carbon fuels or you have zero emissions technologies. And uh, in between uh, those two bookends, you have luckily for, for ship owners, all these different alternatives. Uh, it's almost like a menu of different uh, either fuels or t- technologies that you can apply. And really whatever solution is being chosen uh, completely depends on uh, you know the individual vessel, the individual trade, uh, the individual business that you're in. So what works for someone um, May not work for others and so on and, and that kind of goes back to the point of there is no silver bullet. We, we, we agree with that uh, assumption. Um, our experience uh, with alternative fuels has primarily been uh, related to um, LNG as a, as a marine fuel and uh, Bjarne mentioned earlier the the vessels that were uh, operated by TOTE between uh, Jacksonville and Puerto Rico Um, CME is involved in the project that uh, supplies the LNG to those ships, uh, Jax LNG. Um, The Jax LNG is an LNG facility um, on the water in Jacksonville, uh, which has a liquefaction uh, train, um, LNG storage, and uh, an LNG terminal. Uh, So we have the ability to uh, uh, load uh, LNG into tanker trucks on on shore and also into vessels um, uh, through the marine um, uh, terminal. Um, in in addition to to that facility, um, the LNG bunker vessel Clean Jacksonville uh, is is home ported and and supplies and distributes LNG within the port of Jackson Jacksonville primarily to the tote vessels. Um, and it has been doing so for over a year and a half now, um, you know, supplying LNG on a weekly basis uh, to these ships that are running 100% on LNG uh, between uh, Jacksonville and Puerto Rico. Um, so that's been a really interesting project. And, and as we continue to invest down the emissions curve, we look at all kinds of uh, alternative fuels. Uh, Bjarne mentioned a whole range of, of uh, alternatives that are out there that are interesting. Uh, we are at the moment also involved in A project on the other bookend, uh, which is um, a fuel cell electric ferry on the west coast. Um, That ferry will use uh, hydrogen or liquid hydrogen as feedstock for the uh, fuel cells. And it is a a commuter ferry that will operate um, within short distances and uh, bring, um, you know, 85 uh, or so passengers uh, from A to B. So, Again, uh, different uh, alternative fuel uh, for an application where that uh, uh, will work uh, for. And uh, it's obviously interesting that that vessel will have zero emissions and will operate on uh, a zero carbon fuel. That's all I had uh, Sergio for now. So uh, look forward to taking any questions uh, or anything else.
1: Thank you, Magnus. Uh, thank you very much from, uh, for your perspective. And last but not least, uh, I'd like to introduce Mr. Aaron Bresnehaven, Varsila, uh, Vice President of Marine Business Americas. Uh, Aaron, the floor is yours.
4: All right, <clears throat> thank you very much, Sergio, and uh, thanks to Capital Link for having us here. I think it's good to, to get different uh, perspectives on technology that's out there, but I also want to talk a bit about future fuels and how we see uh, those fuels uh, developing and, and how they can be used into the future. So some of the key takeaways, uh, really, uh, if we talk about what, we're, what we have to do over the coming years is to think about where we are today, which is um, we have the gas availability um, where we're using the LNG or the LPG's and, and Bartula as a company has also been very successful in developing uh, LNG as a fuel and being able to supply lots of gas carriers cruise liners, ferry vessels, and and, and different uh, offshore supply vessels already with many uh, thousands of hours. Um, but one of the things that we also really have to emphasize is we don't think that there's only <clears throat> one fuel of the future, just as, as was said some by some of the other panel members. I think what we're really thinking about is that the LNG or LPG is more of a bridging fuel, and we see lots of green alternatives uh, out in the future. And when we say green, um, what we imply by that is that it's a synthetic fuel based on, on hydrogen. So if we, if we talk a little bit about, for instance, green hydrogen, um, when we look at different vessel applications and, and different routes that it can be used on, we see it more of a niche role. And part of the reason for that is because of the low energy density per volume, um, but also, as was mentioned before, the complexity and the cost associated with the storage. Um, We've also looked at uh, green ammonia as an alternative, and we think that green ammonia has a high potential and would be good for deep-sea shipping uh, applications. Um, But in this, uh, we also see some limitations with the low energy density per volume, especially when we're talking about comparing it to today's diesel. Um, But the one thing about uh, ammonia that we see some potential is, again, for the deep-sea, it would have high potential for um, when you don't really have any restrictions on space or limitations in the cart, in the, uh, the fuel tanks. Um, when we talk about green methanol, uh, we see this as having a good energy density, and it looks like it could be a really interesting alternative. Um, and it's also relatively easy to store on board. Um, one thing that could be of a little bit of concern is uh, price fluctuations and, and how it compares to other fuels. We have also see the green green biomethane has an economic alternative. It has really good potential for deep sea applications as well. But it could also be used for short sea shipping applications. It's a very mature technology um, and it's supported um, and is readily available today. Um, We see some potential as well for green methane. Um, It's different from biomethane in how it's produced, um, but it's uh, got the similar potential as biomethane. For its benefits, um, the one question that tends to come up is the um, let's say the how the carbon capture takes place and the efficiency of that. Um, another thing that we've been taking a very heavy look at is the uh, the use of biodiesels, whether first or uh, second generation. As as you know, biodiesels are readily available today, and the price and availability is reasonable. Um, but depending on the methods you use or where the bio uh, stock is coming from, you could have some fluctuations in prices. Um, however, the, the, the main issue that we see with the biodiesels is that it would be subject to changing regulations in the future. So uh, in essence, having this um, you know, look at the fuel flexibility uh, and investing in the flexibility, uh, we see that the combustion engine would be a good way to mitigate business risk as well as compliance risks of these future fuels. So if we talk a little bit more in detail uh, on my slide, that refers to uh, the business risks that have to be considered. One of the things is, as mentioned, the fuel availability. So there are a lot of investments being made in the fuels. There's a lot of um, uh, infrastructure that has to be put in place for for logistics. So that's going to be a consideration with the rollout and the acceptance. Um, There will be some increased CAPEX and OPEX that we have to uh, also be very much uh, aware of. Um, If you're talking about converting existing vessels or a new building, you have two different um, things that you have to consider. And if we're talking about between 2020 and 2050, vessels that are being built today will obviously be in service almost up to that that boundary uh, layer condition. So, Are you going to go all in now and hope for the best, or are you going to build vessels in a way that gives you that flexibility for conversions later? Um, That has an additional problem of what you do with the vessel structure. As we talked about, some of these fuels need very large tanks and, and have complex storage, so you have to also look at the investments required for those. Um, the other thing that we have to keep in mind is the increased complexity. Um, the diesel engine has been around for a long time. It's been proven for 100 years or more. And um, But as we look at uh, adding abatement or adding conversion technologies, again, the complexity of, for the crews may increase or decrease. Or again, looking at how you handle the fuel, there could be some, some concerns. And then finally, the shipyard capacity. So if we're, if we're talking about converting as uh, regulations change, whereas the fuel adaptation changes, we need to also understand whether there's going to be repair capacity or shipyards that are able to work in a timely manner to convert the, the large number of ves- the current vessels that are in service or building new ones into the future. Um, but one thing from a Vartula perspective, and now I'm really talking about ourselves as a supplier and the way we approach it, we're not just a uh, engine manufacturer, but we're also approaching a vessel from a system perspective. So we're looking at the fuel handling systems, we're looking at the propulsion efficiency, um, we're looking at the way that um, the, the engines are adapting and improving over time, so we're, and we're constantly looking at it from a holistic perspective. And we'll continue to provide solutions for um, all uh, segments, merchant, uh, offshore, uh, special vessels, and cruise and ferry going into the future. And so finally, to conclude, uh, it's really, in our minds, a lot about having that flexibility, looking at the way that you can adapt to the compliance, looking at the way that you can mitigate business risk, and we really feel that the combustion engine gives that, that flexibility and, and the um, sort of way that the, the ship owner can hedge all the bets, uh, so to speak. So thank you for listening to me, and uh, I look forward to answering any questions.
1: Thank you very much, Aaron. Um, so now I think we still have a, a eight minutes or so, uh, so we can uh, go through the uh, Q&A session. I, I took note here, uh, it is a common topic from all of you, that uh, the views are that there will be no dominant uh, future fuel as it was HFO in the past. And also that, that there are already existing alternative fields like LNG, LPG, that can uh, be used as bridging uh, for future-proof vessels. So that's uh, very interesting. So uh, we already have a couple of uh, questions. The way I'd like to do this, I'll read the question, and then it's open to the panelists. Uh, Either one, uh, each one that wants to say something, just uh, say your name and uh, be brief on on your views. Thank you. So the first one is, what are some of the lessons learned from existing projects that can help development of new projects involving alternative fuels? Anyone would like to expand on that?
3: I, get, I can say something briefly uh, from kind of our I- investor perspective. Um, you know Some of the lessons learned, uh, for example, with uh, when we started deploying capital, or making capital available to help convert ships, we also realized very quickly that we had to participate in the infrastructure. So that, you know, it doesn't help to just uh, um, convert vessels to run on LNG, for example, if the infrastructure isn't available. So so you really have to work on both the demand side and the supply side, if you will, of the alternative fuels simultaneously. Uh, And sometimes that can be tricky to match up from an investor perspective. But, um, you know, one way to overcome that is, for example, by starting small and scaling up. Um, I think uh, Jax LNG and and Bunkering Tote was a really good example of that, how they had a sort of temporary bunkering facility uh, in the interim until the the, the permanent bunkering facility was up and running. So so that's one way to to do it, start small and, and scale up.
1: Thank you magnus anybody else would like to
0: add Uh, uh, maybe i can i can add a a brief comment also i think some of the lessons learned is that uh, you know in order for it to be successful it has to be business viable it has to has to give the ship owner a competitive edge this whole idea of you know you have to do good in order to do well i think it's very important for the uh, for the merchant shipping um second i think it's also clear that um, um, you know, uh, it's not one one size that fits all because each uh, ship owner, each um, a segment has its own special needs, and you cannot have one solution that works well in one scenario like with the tote might not work in a different scenario. So I think that's the reason why we will not see one solution. Um, finally, I think the lessons learned, and this is back to what Aaron mentioned from Bachelor, uh, the complexity. I mean, we can, as equipment manufacturers, Wärtsilä uh, and, and MAN and others, we can develop technology faster than the, uh, than the crew on board the ship can keep up with the competencies. And uh, <clears throat> I think some of the lessons learned there is that, you know, the, with the digital tools that we have available today, we can actually assist the crew a lot by monitoring the engines, the systems remotely. Uh, you know, we can give guidelines, we can predict what is going on, uh, we can give feedback and, and there i think we can help um handling some of the additional complexity um, and, and and increase the reliability of, of the solutions uh, on board the ships
1: thank you bjarne anybody else would like to chip in
4: yeah this is aaron brusnahan again <clears throat> i think another uh, lesson learned over time i mean a lot of the decisions for changing fuels has been driven a lot by the economics Um, But also we know now because of this big and bold step step by the IMO and the member nations that we're making a commitment not just on the business case, but for the good of the planet. So quite often when you put these uh, very high targets uh, for compliance and for regulatory um, development, obviously that helps accelerate the investment in the technology and the change. So I think that's if you look back 20, 30 years compared to now, this is where uh, a big step change is, is played. And especially when you think about the eco zones and how you're dealing about uh, emissions and techno, uh, being um, constricted in some areas versus others, so um, that also forces the investment in infrastructure and should accelerate the change.
1: Yeah, it's a good point, Aaron. Thank you very much. We I think we still have a few minutes. So let's read another question here. What's your position or opinion about the use of any monetary incentive? schemes to increase uptake, for example, carbon levy or emission trading schemes, as a possible driver to meet the IMO target. Anyone?
2: Well, maybe I can take a shot at that as well. So I think first of all, from, from our perspective, the media, we, we certainly support the ICS initiative to create a research and development um, board. As a way to facilitate uptake of uh, on collecting fund for greenhouse gas emission reduction measurements, when it comes to carbon levy or other sort of schemes, there of course there are already some local emission trading schemes, let's uh, say in EU or Canada, for example, that might have some maritime uses. I think our perspective is that uh, a more global, maybe a carbon levy type of arrangement could work if it's. Uh, if it's done through the IMO and it's a level playing field, you know, that also provides proper enforcement and collection. Um, and then that whatever money that is collected through that um, is, is actually done for the right things. And, and DNVGL did a study together with uh, BW, BHP, and DNB, the Norwegian bank. Um, that was presented last year on, on different pros and cons of different mechanisms. So that's, that's also, I think, an interesting uh, paper to study for people if they wanna see um, some of the p- potential options there to incentivize the uptake of alternative fuel. Uh,
4: this is Aaron Bresnan again. I, another thing I'd like to pile on with this is actually what the Norwegians have done with their carbon tax uh, offsets for technology investments. If you look at where a lot of the innovations and a lot of the push and the changes come, has really been when these ship owners and ship operators have been given those offsets uh, to try new technologies. I mean, we just recently did a test with fuel cells um, with a Norwegian offshore supply vessel uh, operator, and it was extremely successful. And you know, they're they, they're moving more on the cutting edge by seeing that those tax incentives uh, are a good thing for both the, the the country as well as the the ship owner
1: but very much driven by the government, isn't it? Yeah, good point. Well, I think, uh, unfortunately, uh, we are running out of time for our panel. We still have a couple of other questions, but uh, for all of those uh, uh, participants uh, that want to ask questions to the panelists, feel, uh, please feel free uh, to write down uh, on the proper box or go on the network lounge uh, and then uh, ask the panelists uh, to engage. So again, thank you very much to all the panelists uh, uh, to participate and coming from different parts of the world. And uh, thanks again for Capital Link to to make this happen. Enjoy uh, the, uh, the conference
0: to all. Thank you very much.